Let's take our Bibles now and turn to James chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 20, the last verses in this book, James chapter 5. Title of the message this morning, Times for Prayer. James chapter 5, 13 through 20. Let me just ask this question at the outset of the message this morning. How often in the past week did you spend time with God in prayer? They say, well, it was a busy week. <laughs> All the more reason to pray. F.B. Meyer said, the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. We've chosen as our theme for this year, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, if you have your bulletin, you might look to that. And I'm going to ask you to read that verse out loud with me in unison. But let me just give the first word of the verse. That'll be the easy part. And then you follow with the three phrases that are in that verse. Okay? Is that, is that clear? We'll try it. Okay? Are you ready? Ask. And seek. And knock. Jesus was the one who spoke these words on the Sermon on the Mount. We know that this verse is absolutely true. We believe it as Christians. So let me ask again, how often in the past week did you spend time alone with God in prayer? I firmly believe that God sends storms and trials into our lives simply to get us to stop and to turn to him during those crucible moments cry out to him in prayer. There are certain times in our lives when we realize the necessity of prayer and we, we come to God pleading for him to answer. Let's read this passage, James 5, 13 through 20, and we'll see three different times in life that we're told to pray. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins." Tradition tells us that James was nicknamed Camel Knees because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer. They became callous like the knees of a camel. James was a man who knew how to pray. And in these verses, we're reminded of three specific times that we sense that need to pray. Verse 13 says, is any among you afflicted? So our first point today will be in times of stress, there is help in prayer. Verse 14 says, is any sick among you? So our second point, in times of sickness, there is healing in prayer. And verse 19, if any of you do err from the truth, in times of sin, there is hope in prayer. 
Abraham Lincoln said, I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I have nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. In times of stress, verse 13, there is help in prayer. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. The question that James asked here is, is quite unusual when you think about the people to whom he's writing. They're in the diaspora. They're being scattered abroad because of the persecution in Rome. And so they're scattered around. Remember back in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, James began the letter, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And now he gets to this last portion of the, of the letter, and he says, Is any among you afflicted? Well, he knows that they are. The question is here, not just for them, but for us to consider today. Is anyone here afflicted? You might think that you, make, you face a lot more complex difficulties than the readers did in 50 AD. But the answer that they needed to hear is the answer, the same answer that we need to hear today. The word affliction here has to do with mental anxiety. It's, it's when you worry or suffer misfortune or adversity. It's what we might refer to as stress. Spiro Sodiati says, it means to suffer the evil blows of the outside world. A few verses earlier, if you'll look up to verse 10, James used, James used that same word to describe the prophets and what they face. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. You think about the prophets of the Old Testament. Did they have any affliction? Oh no, life was clear sailing for all of them. Elijah, a great prophet of God whom we've studied, and he sat under the juniper tree and he said, Lord, just take my life. I don't want to live any longer. Jeremiah, lower down into the dungeon where he sank down in the mud, in the mire. Ezekiel, told not to mourn when his wife even died. What are you facing today? Now, stress can come in a lot of different forms. You might be facing some financial problems, some family difficulties, dealing with people who have said things that hurt you, cut you to the quick. Stress is a normal part of life. In fact, stress is necessary. Listen to what the American Institute of Stress says. You say, I didn't know there was such a place. I'd like to join it. Okay. Here's what they say. You might not after you hear what they say. Increased stress results in increased productivity up to a point. However, this level differs for each of us. It's very much like the stress on a violin string. Not enough produces a dull raspy sound. Too much tension makes a shrill annoying noise or breaks the string. However, just the right degree can create a magnificent tone. And we need to get to a place in our lives where we can trust the master musician to tune the strings of our life to just the right tension. And in that tuning, we'll find that our lives will bring music to the praise of his glory. Stress is a normal part of life. 
And so we need to trust him. So the question, is anyone afflicted? And everyone raises their hand both then and now. The solution, verse 13, at the, in the, in, right in the middle, let him pray. It goes on to say, is any merry, let him sing. And th- it's just the normal response. People that are happy, sing. People that are afflicted, pray. This is what we do. Notice the first thing I, about this prayer is that it is a prayer made by the person who is afflicted. Let him pray. It's the afflicted person who prays, who's encouraged to pray. Later on, it's the sick person who calls for others to pray for them. But here, it's the afflicted. It's the stressed person. The best solution for your anxiety is not to line up a lot of your friends to say, hey, I'm going through some really hard times. Pray for me. The best solution, the first solution, is to start praying for yourself. You know what makes most people... Do uh, you know what most people advise you to do when you get stressed? Maybe you've heard the motto, when in trouble or in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. And that's basically what most of us do, right? There are some advices that are given that are good. Find someone to blame, probably not the best one. You know, if I'm stressed, it's somebody else's fault. Uh, I, I didn't have anything to do with this. Some people say get out and get some exercise, get in a a running program, a jogging program, or or walk. Talk about your problems with others. Get rid of the things that make you feel stressed. Listen to soothing music. Well, some of those suggestions are helpful. The answer in James is the one that was given from our Creator. This is God's inspired word. And what does he tell us to do when we're afflicted? Pray. Pray for a better understanding of what God's doing in your life. Ask him to increase your faith to be able to face those things, your your trials, those testings. Pray that those trials that you endure will actually result in a life that's more fruitful for him. One man was overwhelmed by his own sorrows, and he found unexpected encouragement one day in an object lesson He was walking through the botanical gardens of Oxford when he saw a pomegranate tree, and its trunk had been severely cut, almost severing the tree from its roots. He asked the gardener what had happened. The gardener said the tree used to produce only leaves until its stalk was cut. Then it began to produce fruit. Pray, perhaps, that through your affliction, You'll learn how to trust God, and as a result, you can pass that along to others. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, I read those verses, and I see the word comfort, parakaleo, call to your side, encourage, five times. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation, That we may be able, why am I going through this? So that you may be able to do this, to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Why did you go through that? So the comfort that God gave you will be a reservoir of comfort that you can go and tell someone else, hey, God has comfort. He will get you through this and you can share that with them. So sometimes we face those things to help others. So we pray that way. Pray that we'll see how our afflictions can help us be more like Christ. 
1 Peter 2.21, For even thereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And so the things that we face remind us of what he did for us. In 1844, Joseph Scriven left Ireland and went to Canada as a missionary. He began to work among the Iroquois Indians. His fiancée came from Ireland the next year. They were to be married. But the day before the wedding, there was an accident. His fiancée fell through the ice and drowned. A year later, Scriven got word that his mother was very sick. He sat down and he wrote these words in a letter to her. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Are you living under the pressure of stress? You've been trying all sorts of things to try to handle that tension. Have you neglected prayer? If so, would you commit to spending more time in prayer about the afflictions that you face? Let's try that. Let's try that this week. Why? Because it's what God tells us we ought to do. If any are afflicted, let him pray. In times of stress, there's help in prayer. Secondly, in times of sickness, there's healing in prayer. Verses 14 and 15, the first half of verse 15. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. The sickness here is different from the affliction that we just talked about in verse 13. Affliction is that stress or anxiety that's mental, that's internal. Sickness is a specific physical illness, a problem. There are many false assumptions that are drawn from these verses, and we need to look really carefully at what the the passage is saying. It's not talking about faith healing, which is very popular, that God will heal you if you have enough faith. Most conservative theologians say that the signs and wonders or signs and miracles gifts are no longer in effect. Martin Luther, John Owen, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon, Benjamin Warfield, They all say that those those signs are no longer necessary. Before we go through James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, let's, let's consider some absolutes of Scripture. Number one, none of us doubt that God is omnipotent. He can do anything that he wills to do. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, With God, all things are possible. That's a given. Second truth, we know that God hears and answers our prayers. John 14, 13, and 14 says that those prayers should be in the name of Jesus, which means they should be according to his character, according to his will. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So God answers prayer, but here's that that stipulation. It needs to be in his name, according to his character, according to his will. And we know that sometimes it's not God's will to heal. We have examples in Scripture. Paul asked the Lord at three different seasons of prayer in his life to remove the thorn that he had in his flesh. But God answered, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul turned around and concluded, 
Most gladly, therefore, will I suffer affliction that the, or in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul had the gift of healing, but it says in first, or 2 Timothy 4.20 that Trophimus have I left at my leadum sick. So even though he had the gift of healing, there were times that that was not God's will. Now let's look at verses 14 and 15 of James 5 and examine what James tells us about prayer for the sick. The sick person, notice, is the one who calls for the elders. That's our first thing to, to see. Layman Strauss uh, said in his commentary, some people get sick and wonder why the pastor doesn't call on them. My fellow Christians, it's your responsibility, if you're able, to send for the elders of the church. So the sick person calls for the elders. Secondly, he calls for the elders. This would be the pastors and the deacons of the church. He doesn't get on the phone and call for a faith healer. He doesn't, doesn't get online and find out when the next one's passing through town. He calls on men who are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the church. They should be the ones who know how to pray. If we were to follow just this, it would cut down a lot of things that take place in our, in our cities. Uh, those who are not healthy enough to go to a faith healing meeting couldn't get healed. But here, it's, they call for the elders of the church. They come to the, to, to the bedside. Notice also that it would take the spotlight out of the public eye. It's to be done privately in a home or at the hospital bed. Calls for the elders. Third, the elders pray and anoint him with oil. There are two Greek words for anointing. One is creo, it's a religious or ceremonial anointing in scripture. The other in the New Testament is a lepho, and that means to rub with oil or uh, to, it's, it's a medicinal value, a balm, a healing thing that's applied. Here James uses that word alepho. So instead of denying medical attention for just prayer, as some people mistake this passage, it actually encourages the believer to get all the help that medication can offer. But we still get to that verse 15 that says, the Lord shall raise him up. So God gets the credit. Not the medications, okay? Healing, fourth, is not, on the sick person, is not based on the sick person's faith. I've heard people say, and it's a, it's a real uh, defense for them. Well, you just didn't have enough faith when you came. You're not healed because you just didn't have enough faith. And so they put it back on the person who's sick, saying, if you have enough faith, you'll be healed. If you don't, you won't. Well, I remind you, it's the, it's the prayer of the elders here and the, and the pastors, okay? So it's... It's their faith that's at stake. Um, healing isn't based on the sick person's faith. Also, the word save in verse 15 means healed. It's a physical thing. The prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. It's used in Matthew 9, 21 and 22 for the woman who had an illness for 12 years and she reached out to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And three times in that context, it's translated with the words, she was made whole. It's a physical thing. If we try to make this soul salvation, then we'd have to conclude that if a, a sick person isn't healed, then neither are they saved. We don't want to go there. Look at the last phrase in verse 15. And if, I have committed, if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, how do we have forgiveness of sins? There's only one way. It's through the blood of Christ. 
We confess our sins as believers. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As an unbeliever, you confess Christ as your Savior and he forgives all your sins. So have you thought about that when you are sick? What, what, are, the, what are the steps that you should take for healing uh, in this passage? Number one, when you get sick, the first thing you should ask, is this sickness because of some sin in my life? Then pray and make it right with God. We have that warning at the Lord's table that says if we eat or drink the elements unworthily, we're eating judgment to ourselves. Unworthily means we're out of balance. We're saying one thing that grace has saved us and our lives don't match up to that confession of faith. And so in that, because they were eating and drinking unworthily in the church of Corinth, he said, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Many were even dead because they were not living up to the faith that God told them to do, not living according to scripture. And so, first thing you do when you get sick, is, there, is everything right between the Lord and I? Now, you want to be careful because Job's friends accused him of being sick because of sin, and there wasn't sin there. So not all sickness is a result of sin, or at least individual sin. When you get sick, also, we learn in James, get some medical attention. See a doctor. Along with your prayers, get help from a doctor. Third, if you continue to be sick and God doesn't see fit to heal you, then conclude with Paul that God's grace will be sufficient and that you can gladly rejoice in the infirmities because Christ's power is going to be manifested through that illness. In times of sickness... There's healing in prayer. Last, in times of sin, there's hope in prayer. Here, the second half of verse 15, we pick up, and if you have committed sin, they shall be forgiven him. And then, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so here we have instructions to pray. Confess your faults one to another. Ah. I don't like to do that, do you? But that's the way that we're supposed to approach this sin in our lives. Ask another person to pray for you about that sin. Now notice this is not to be done publicly, but privately. One to another, not one to the whole church. I heard of a lady who was being interviewed to be a church secretary, and the pastor asked if she could keep things confidential or if she was prone to gossip and she said oh no I never gossip but I can tell you someone who does <laughs> this is a, a private request for someone that you trust a godly friend who will help you and pray for you in this and what happens when when you do that number one do two things number one it'll set up an accountability partner that person will see you again and say, hey, I've been praying, how are things going? And you have that, that sharing of, of things. They're going to keep you accountable to that sin. More importantly, it brings your request before God's throne. God answers prayer. And when you have someone who will commit to praying with you over a specific struggle that you're facing, that's a great thing. The reason for prayer, that ye may be healed. Now here, 
Healing doesn't necessarily mean physical healing, as we've been talking about in the context. Jesus used it when he was quoting Isaiah in Matthew 13, 15. And there it refers to spiritual healing. We pray that God will heal the sin-sick soul. That's where the real battle is taking place. That kind of healing of the soul is the most important thing to pray for. Yes, we want people to feel better. We want them to get over some sickness or a disease and have strength to face those things. But the most important thing is to be drawn into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we pray for that, that you may be healed. The encouragement to pray at the end of verse 16 The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What a wonderful promise. And he goes right into this example now of Elijah. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Elijah. Remember the audience. James is writing to the Jews who have been scattered abroad. He, the Jews knew Elijah well. He was their hero in Israel. But he starts out, he was a man. What a great reminder. These giants of the faith in scripture were men. He knew hunger. He knew fear. He knew depression. And the Bible records all of those things. He knew discouragement. But God answered his prayer. He prayed. There's a three and a half year drought. He prayed again. And the rains came. God is still answering fervent prayers of righteous men and women. The last two verses speak of conversion in prayer. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now, this, unfortunately, these two verses have been used a lot in evangelistic terms of, of saving a, a sinner from their sin and coming to Christ. But notice, this is written to believers. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, It's possible for Christians to wander from the truth. This word er here in the Greek is planeo. It's a word we get our word planet from. The planet, as people observed the the planets, they went in a different pattern than the stars did. And so they were called wandering stars. They veered away from the normal path. And that's what's happening here. Christians who, who veer away from the path that God has prescribed in his word for them to live. Again, and not salvation, but a person who's, who's facing punishment for their sin because they're erring. We're to help them turn back to the truth. The word is convert here. Conversion is turning. Turning is needed because he's wandering away from that truth. He needs to turn back. He's to turn from the error of his way. And the end result, that restorative process, his soul, or that word can indicate his life, can be saved from death. That is an early death. Shall save a soul from death. And his sins, once confessed, will be hidden by God's grace from the eyes of others. We see that shall hide a multitude of sins. 
There's hope in prayer. Sins can be forgiven. What a way that the Christian is is supposed to live in fellowship with his Savior, walking in the joy of knowing things are okay. They're right between the Lord and me because he's forgiven my sins. I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. Prayer is the way to find help when you're afflicted with stress. Prayer is the way to find healing when you're faced with sickness. Prayer is the way to find forgiveness when you're tempted to sin. Don't neglect the divine power that is ours through prayer. Let's look to the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word today. And I pray that as we face the different situations in life, the circumstances that come our way, that you have put there by your divine purpose, that we would respond with prayer. When we're stressed, when we're sick, when we're sinful, help us to go immediately in prayer to the one who hears, to the one who answers. And we'll give you the praise for what you'll do in our hearts and in our lives through this passage of Scripture being applied on a daily basis as we walk with you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.